Welcome back to the 2R1 podcast, where we study the Bible together as a married couple. I'm Taylor. I'm Elisa. And we are glad you're back. Today, we're going to be back in Mark chapter 1. And uh, last week, we talked about what am I wearing? This week, our question is, where am I being driven? Then we're going to go and uh, review an article together with Cousin Danny in law school at Mercer. So we'll see you in just a bit. So where am I being driven? Where am I being Who's driven? driving? Who's driving? What kind of car is it? <laughs> um, that's the question for tonight. Where am I being driven? We're going to be back in Mark chapter 1. Last week we talked about the very beginning of the chapter, and I believe we left off when Jesus was getting baptized, I believe. Yeah, we had just and you, finished up You that. mentioned immediately, immediately. Mm-hmm. And so I may backtrack just one verse or so there, pick up that word immediately again tonight, but... Um, we are going to jump right in, hopefully um, get more packed into less time tonight. Elisa, you want to read our verses? Where are we starting at? Uh, uh, verse 14, and I think just to verse 20 to start off with. Okay, that All sounds right. great. And then after you get in reading, we'll come back and pray and get going. All right, so Mark 1, starting in verse 14. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Amen. All right. Father, we just want to first tell you that we love you, and we thank you for giving yourself for us, Father, for changing our hearts and changing our minds, Father, and turning us around back towards you. Father, we thank you that um, you left the 99 to come and get us, Lord. And we thank you that you're faithful to us, Lord, that you are working on us, Father, and it is a a work in progress, Lord. And each day you're sanctifying us and growing us closer into the person that you have planned for us to be more like your son, Jesus. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for... uh, your scripture that says iron sharpens iron, and that's what Elisa is to me, that's what I am to her, that's what believers are to each other, Lord, that we need each other to sharpen each other, to spur each other onto good works is how you word it. Um, and Lord, I pray that we would do that, that we would uh, be uh, your hands and feet for the lost and for those who are in the family of God. Lord, that we would um, use the gifts that you've given us, Lord, to glorify you, to labor for you while it is still day. And Father, I pray that you go before us tonight, speak to us through your word, teach us your ways, Father, and uh, forgive us of our sins. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, Jesus is baptized by John in the Jordan River. 
And then the Bible says the key word you mentioned, and it was mentioned a lot in the verses, immediately, immediately. Um, and God does different things with different people after their conversion in different ways, but many times it is a immediate change and an immediate direction that's given to the believer. Um, now, not always, and that's okay, because God does things in different ways. But I think a lot of times it's not, I know it was for you, like it was immediate for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it is, but sometimes it's so immediate, if this makes sense, that you can't even see it happening until it's in the past. Mm-hmm. I know when it happened for me, I can pinpoint the night that it happened, but I can't say that I immediately felt the change i just was that desperate and then going forward things started changing and Mm -hmm. as i walked it out the farther i got along the farther i I walked with him i could look back and say you answered my prayer right then right there and wow yeah (laughs) and then the rest is like you see it as an amazing picture whereas when you're going through it it's just you don't see it as a whole so it's not quite as amazing yeah and i think it it either happens one way or the other, but it is in that moment. He is immediate. There's, yeah. you know, there's that's, that's the best way to put it. Yeah. I, I like that. He is immediate, and our eternity is secured immediately. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the change is different depending on the person and depending on where you're at. And, and there are different levels of bondage. And God takes us through a series of things that we need to go through to deliver us from different uh, types of bondage, and it's different for but different here's, people. But here's what's really neat. And you go ahead, because I don't want to get ahead of you. Well, I I want us to, um, I'm going to mention this, and then we'll get into a little bit of the research that you did. Is that okay? Yeah. Okay, so after he's baptized, after Jesus is baptized by John in the Jordan River, the Bible says immediately Jesus was driven into the desert by the Spirit. And some some Bibles will say wilderness, which was the desert. We have a South Georgia image of what wilderness is, or perhaps like the jungle, but that's not it at all. This was a barren, dry, parched place with very little shade. And so that's what the biblical meaning of wilderness is. It's a, um, you know, yes, there's plants, but it was very dry and it was not a lot of shade. And so, you know, um, if you were to go look in this region of the world now, you would see that. And it was that way then. So I have just a couple of points that stood out to me. Um, and this is bringing in some of the other Gospels, like I mentioned in the, in the opening. Um, Jesus was tempted. We will certainly be tempted. Immediately after he was baptized. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, once you do make that decision, and it is immediate, I think a lot of times that's when the devil hits you the hardest. Absolutely. Now you're a target. Before, you were actually either a not of no effect yeah. to to the war that's waging or either you were fighting with the side of the enemy and didn't so realize if he's going to attack Jesus himself. You better believe he's going to attack someone who actually absolutely doesn't, doesn't stand a chance as much as Jesus. And, and it's crazy that God has had us in the, in the scriptures because the other night I was talking to our son and, uh, I think he had, he had a lot of friends over for the weekend and um, a big weekend, a fun weekend, and then all of a sudden on Sunday afternoon, everybody goes home, and he's just kind of gone from a high point to a, a normal uh, afternoon on the couch. It's getting closer to bedtime, and he said, he said, Daddy, he said, after you do a bunch of fun things and then it's over, do you ever feel just sad? 
And, uh, you know, it kind of warmed my heart to hear that just because he's growing up and he's starting to see the, kind of the, the plight of humanity, that the, the ebbs and flows, the peaks and valleys that we go through as humans. And, uh, and I knew that was a moment for me to talk to him about this scripture. And I referenced this scripture. I said, Grayson, and this is a whole other subject for another time, but briefly, um, I said, Grayson, the older you get, the more you're going to be uh, forced to deal with some of those emotions that you have as a human being. And Christian people have to learn how to, when you have an emotion, that you have to speak God's truth to that emotion because the emotions many times can lead us astray. In other words, we can't be a people that make decisions and do things and go places based on what we feel. We have to do what God's truth says because when we feel sad, if we're not careful, that can move into depression. And and that's why we have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, which is to speak God's truth into our circumstance. And so I took that moment, moment to tell him what Jesus did here. And this is not uh, detailed in this version of um, Jesus's 40 days in the desert. But basically, the devil comes and tempts Jesus throughout his um, 40 days of fasting in the desert and tempts him. And each time, uh, if you read the other accounts, the way Jesus fights back is to speak God's truth to the temptation, to the enemy. So when the devil tried to get Jesus to eat in the middle of a fast, Jesus said, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And he constantly responds with, it is written, it is written. How does a Christian uh, fight? We fight with the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And we have to be a people not driven by emotion, but driven by God's truth. That's, that's the first thing that really stood out to me. And then that brings us back to the 40 days. And the number 40 stood out to me, and I really wanted to know more about what the Bible has to say about 40. Elisa, I think you have done some research on that. Uh, a little bit. It's just interesting to see how many times it is. Um, most people, I think, realize that the number 40 generally symbolizes a period of testing um, or trial or even probation. Um, it is mentioned 146 times in Scripture. And here's just a few that I had looked up to see. Uh, Moses lived 40 years in Egypt and then 40 years in the desert before God selected him to lead the Exodus. Then he was also on Mount Sinai for 40 days and nights on two separate occasions. Then he also sent spies for 40 days to investigate the land God promised. Jonah warned Nineveh for 40 days. Ezekiel laid on his side for 40 days. Elijah went 40 days without food or water. Jesus was tempted for 40 days and nights. Um, he also appeared to his disciples and others 40 days after his resurrection from the dead. Mm. Um, and it was also mentioned that the number 40 can represent a generation. Mm-hmm. And when you think about um, <clears throat> the children of Israel, when they wandered around the wilderness for 40 years, it was because they had been disobedient and God swore that they would not see the promised land so after 40 years then they were able to see so they wandered around the wilderness for 40 years Mm. Jesus prophesied this and then 40 years after his crucifixion the Roman Empire destroyed um, Jerusalem and the temple Wow. 
And let's see, there were several judges that served 40 years. Deborah, a few others, Gideon, I think there was four or five. Um, and then King Saul, King David, and King Solomon ruled 40 years. And then, of course, the flood. Mm. Yeah. There's a lot there. It even goes into um, how does the number 40 relate to humility? Hmm. You know, that's an angle you don't think about because when you're really tested. Yeah, your tendency is to fight it. Yeah. When, when all God's trying to get you to do is surrender. But we just want to fight. And we're supposed to, a lot of times when we're, you know, if we're tested, we're supposed to surrender. If it's a probation period, we're supposed to repent. Yeah. You know, and which we're supposed is to humble ourselves. Which is surrender too, yeah. yeah. Um, and the Bible, most people agree, was written by 40 different people. 40 different authors. Yep, some are known, most are known, some are unknown. So it's just a recurring number mm-hmm. in the Bible. Probably the the one that sticks out the most to me would, would probably be the flood, and then it would probably be um, no, um, I mean, excuse me, Moses, and the different uh, times of testing and, and uh, preparation that's, that's God, God took God him through. That's when God was setting up so much. Yeah. That's why everything, I mean, everything that Jesus walked through was Everything was in preparation for him, mm-hmm. you know? Absolutely. There, There's never a time where God is standing still. He's always moving. And that's what I love about the Hebrew language is that it, it shows the movement of God. And and that's how we as Christians really should see the Word of God is, is that it's movement. Mm-hmm. God is always on the move. You can sing the song if you want. <laughs> so I'll save y'all. Going back to... The so, word here. And when he begins his ministry and calls his first disciples. And I think that's how we left off last week is he is calling you. Mm-hmm. You know, many are called, few are chosen. Not because he didn't want to choose you, because we didn't choose him. Mm-hmm. You know? And and to see how these men immediately left what they were doing. Yeah. Left and their jobs, left their families. Yeah. And followed him. And he wasn't a rich king, you know, we think about it today like, well, yeah, I would have followed Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, he's the yeah. creator and the God of the universe, the king of all kings, of course. That's not what he looked like. No. There was something tugging on their hearts, and they were not quite sure what this was going to be about. Mm-hmm. They walked and followed him for a while before Peter finally proclaimed, you are the son of God, mm-hmm. you know. I don't think it, I think it was kind of like it was with me. I just knew something had to had to give and I had to go this direction I could not keep going the same direction I was going and then one day it's an epiphany and you know it was from that moment mm-hmm. and and you know when when Mark's writing this from Peter's perspective he's looking back and thinking wow that was the moment and yeah I, I saw that in it too and something right before that and I, we mentioned this briefly in the last podcast but I think it's a verse we kind of skip over and we take for granted. Verse 15, and the way uh, my version words it is, the time has come, God's kingdom is near. Turn to God from your sins and believe the good news. We take for granted that the kingdom is near. Mm -hmm. You know, we mentioned that last time. The all-powerful God of the universe is also ever-present 
in our life, both as believers and both uh, and as unbelievers. God is standing at the door, knocking, waiting, knocking, waiting. And the tug that you felt, the tug that I felt, the tug that we feel as believers is God's nearness. And it's just amazing to think that He is near all the time. And we take that for granted. And that was such a crazy concept to the Jews when Jesus came and said that. They're like, wait a minute. You know, God's in heaven. We're on earth. What do you mean the kingdom is near? Um, we take that for granted. And I just think that's an awesome verse and awesome to remember that God is as near as our cry. God is as near as when we call on Him, when we seek Him, when we look for Him. And God is speaking all the time in all different kinds of ways. He's near. He's right next mm-hmm. to us. And I can't help but to think about you know, the men that didn't go, you know, he's called, he saw Simon and Andrew, and then um, John, or he saw James and his, John, his brother, they left their father Zebedee with the hired servants. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure Jesus extended that invitation to Zebedee and the others. Well, here's what I, here's what I got from that, and it's along those lines. Um, and I'll just read verse 16 again. He says, As he walked beside Lake, Iman says, uh, Kinneret. What is the official name? That's the, the Sea of Galilee. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> As he walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother, casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Jesus said to them, Come, follow me, and I will make you into fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Um, I thought to myself, we, the discernment that Jesus had, surely he did walk past many other men, but he didn't ask them. It's not, I mean, maybe he did. The Bible doesn't record it, but Jesus knew when he saw Simon and when he saw Andrew and when he saw James and John, when he saw those ones that God had planned for him to have, that God had planned for him to speak to, he knew it, and it was that divine appointment. It was that discernment that Jesus could tell, these are the men today that I'm supposed to speak to. And I think that many times in ministry, we get uh, thinking that, uh, in the words of um, the, uh, the great Dan Nix, we kind of take a machine gun approach to reaching people for the gospel. When maybe it's that we need to be more sensitive and look right. for that one who God has pointed to toward for us. The invitation is there, but God knows the hearts of all men. He yeah. knows and it's also season. To, it's right. a, there's a season of time when the gospel is primed for a certain person. And, and it, time's not a thing for God. No. So he's ever patient, you know, and we are so ready to get everybody in. And, and it comes from a good place. Right. But, but we have to be sensitive to the season and the place where God is at work. And we have to trust that God is at work. Yes. And I heard our pastor say it, uh, Mickey Lindsay, like this one time, uh, in the story about the widow pouring out the bit of oil that she had left in the Old Testament. And if you notice, she didn't take the pot of oil other places and pour it in the, in the different con- containers and vessels. She tilted the pot over and poured it, and they moved the vessels underneath it. And the point that our pastor made was, you need to move your pot where the oil is being poured out. Mm. You know, and so it's the same way if you see God pointing to someone, that is the divine moment. We have to be a people that are sensitive to the Spirit. We can recognize, okay, this is the time, this is the place, this is the person, and then the gospel can do its greatest work. Um, And I think that we just need to, not that we'll always get it right, 
but at least we can take it to the next level of being um, sensitive to those moments, you know, those divine moments. That's what stood out to me. I read something the other day that said Christianity has become too man-centered and not God-centered. Mm. And I think that can be self-centered mm-hmm. or even that. You know, we just want to grow and grow and grow, and it is from a good place. But if we're God-centered, we will find ourselves where he's pouring out a spirit. Just Absolutely. Just like she's pouring out those that oil. And if we're not careful we begin to seem like we believe their salvation is dependent upon us. Right. And it's really not. Nothing to do with us. We, God's just inviting us to be a part of exactly. what he's doing. We can't save anybody. We can't save ourselves. We can't keep anyone saved. God is the one who does the saving. All he ever asked us to do was to tell the good news to those that he's placed in our path. All right. And then it mentions... Um, he goes on and calls John, the son of Zebedee, his father. So just imagine John's in the boat. Uh, Jesus calls him. He just goes. He leaves his dad. I mean, they're they're like I in mean, business can you imagine, together. Imagine like you being in class teaching and him coming by and being like, "Yo, Taylor, you want to follow me?" <laughs> and you just leave your students there. You know, because yeah. it's the same. That was his job. That was his livelihood. That was his responsibility. His responsibility. But when Jesus calls you to do something, that's... that's and it doesn't say that the dad really made a fuss. Nah. There was something, and, and this is the last point that I wanted to make. Um, so when he says, uh, verse 19, going on a little farther, he saw uh, John and... Uh, what's the other name? This is written in Hebrew. The other disciple that was in the boat. Andrew. Okay, John... No, and, Simon, sorry. Si- John and Simon in his and boat. Andrew. His, his brother in their boat repairing their nets immediately he called them and they left their father oh, james is john's brother sorry <laughs> baby clear it up because i'm confused now <laughs> okay simon and andrew were ahead of time and then he came along john and his brother james okay so john and james in the boat with their dad immediately he called them and they left their father zebedee in the boat with the hired men and went after jesus i mean they left their dad and the business everything they knew in the boat uh, there's there was two more points that I wanted to get to very quickly. Um, this this struck me right here. We are all fishermen fishing for something. Mm-hmm. I mean, whether you are saved, whether you are lost, whether you are seeking um, corporate advancement, climbing the corporate ladder, power, uh, fame, um, even uh, security and safety, we're all fishing for something. What drives me? What am I fishing for? What drives me? What drives you? There are only two types of fishermen when you boil it all down. You're either fishing for God or you're fishing for yourself. I mean, you can just boil everything down into those two categories. And as Christians, it should be we're fishing for God. Mm -hmm. What I'm trying to get should be what God has asked me to get for him. It shouldn't be about Taylor. It shouldn't be about Elisa. It shouldn't be about um, moving forward. Every decision that I make, every thought that I have, every where that I go, every dollar that I spend, in some way, shape, or form should be to honor God. It should be to build his kingdom, which is fishing for God. And granted, we mess that up all the time. We mess that up, but Jesus doesn't ask for performance and perfection. What he asks for is... uh, your desire yes he where is your heart and i think i think what was clear you know from the outside looking in 
when these men did that, when they left their business, when they left their families, there was no question who they were with after that and mm-hmm. what they were after that. Mm-hmm. People thought they were crazy, but well, you, they the, they ha- had a whole they a whole new life, and that's mm-hmm. what he does when he calls us. He he wants us to leave the old life and begin anew. And uh, I think too many of us kind of do that halfway instead of all yeah. in. And many times it's what we've learned and what we've seen. Um, but I think we're in the middle of a shift where kind of um, the next generation mm-hmm. is starting to see the importance of getting back to those uh, basics and tenets of faith. Just simple, the simple pursuit of mm-hmm. Jesus. You know, that. the simple pursuit is a great it's song. I mean, we can tease that song on the on the broadcast. All right, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we are going to do a phone interview with uh, cousin Danny, who is currently in law school at Mercer University as a uh, bachelor's degree in philosophy from Valdosta State. We're going to be kicking around a very interesting story about uh, defamation and censorship. censorship. Very controversial. So we'll see you in a bit. Hey guys, thanks again for joining us. If you have any questions, you can email us at questions at 2r1.org. That's the number two, the letter R, and the number one. Um, Also, any of our past podcasts, you can search on iTunes, 2r1, or they're on our website, www.2r1, the number two, the letter R, the number one.org. All right, welcome back. We have a special guest with us tonight. Uh, Danny Nix is joining Hi. us by phone from Macon, Georgia. He has a uh, bachelor's degree in philosophy and religious studies from Battle State University and is currently in the middle of finals seeking a law degree from Mercer University. So Danny took time out of his busy schedule to join us. So thank you, Danny, for joining us. Thank You're you, welcome. Danny. Welcome. <clears throat> All right, we have found this this article from CNN Business, it was published um, last week, or updated last week, late last week. Um, it is titled, Louis Farrakhan. Farrakhan, Alex Jones and Other Dangerous Voices, Banned by Facebook and Instagram. So this is all about censorship and what our social media war, uh, world, <laughs> not war, but world, <laughs> is deeming inappropriate. 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 So, Danny, you have uh, looked at this article, and um, you have your your backgrounds that you're the lens that you're looking through. So, we wanted to get your take on it. Could you do? Could you go ahead and kind of frame the article for us, and then just kind of start telling us what you saw? Sure. So, <clears throat> I think Elisa's summary of it was uh, perfectly fine. Uh, it's uh, just essentially we have social media companies, of course, who have, uh, are worried about. <clears throat> people and the, and the ideas and speech that are going on on their social media sites. So, of course, uh, they're worried about uh, the ramifications of what that may entail. <clears throat> I want to thank y'all dearly first for having me on the podcast. It's uh, during the final, so just let y'all know. I, <laughs> I, uh, I definitely love y'all where I wouldn't be doing this. So. <clears throat> but, thank you. We love you. 
Yeah, so we're, I want to transition a little bit uh, regarding, like, you know, the First Amendment and this idea uh, of censorship and talk a little bit about that. And I, and I got, like, uh, three uh, quick ideas. The first idea, kind of from my perspective, when I hear about, uh, you know, people getting banned off certain sites or their speech being limited, is, of course, you think of, like, the First, first Amendment. But the First Amendment says that, you know, Congress shall not abridge the freedom of speech. So it really involves a state or government action. So you can't, like, sue <clears throat> Facebook uh, for, uh, you know, kicking you offline hmm. or uh, restricting your speech. It's private business. And, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, right. And just like, uh, you know, the NFL, you know, when uh, players want to kneel uh, before games during the Star Spangled Banner, uh, they can't sue the NFL, for instance, uh, for uh, backlashing against uh, a certain form of expression and so forth. <clears throat> so you're right. It's a private business. And uh, the, the other <clears throat> uh, point to be made about the First Amendment, though, is even if there is a state action or government action, e- e- when it's dealing between you and the government and not between you and a private business, it's not an absolute right. Uh, you know, there's laws against right. obscenity, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 by the way, people, <laughs> you'll hear professors uh, who don't even like those laws, um, mm-hmm. and I, and I don't mean just law professors. I, I just mean you know people in general in academia. You have uh, you know speech that constitutes crime. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you solicit somebody to do a criminal act, well, that's a crime. Uh, it don't matter where your speech occurs, and and you could be liable for that. Hmm. And uh, he also got fraud, uh, making false misrepresentations to induce somebody to, to do something, that sort of thing. Uh, and then <clears throat> he also got uh, actions in tort, what's called defamation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And a little bit about that is, uh, you know, you, you could be sued if you're posting things on Facebook that are false um, and that they're false statements tending to harm somebody's reputation. Um, you can be sued for that. So even you know your speech on Facebook is not um, it's not absolute. You, mm-hmm. you don't have full protections against that. Hmm. And uh, and and lastly, as you uh, both you guys probably know, I'm sure, is that the government can regulate the time, place, and manner of your speech. There are things you can say at your house and get away with, but if you go to say it at, uh, in the classroom, you're going to face some penalties. And there's some things you can say outside of class maybe before class starts uh, during an extracurricular part that you know is maybe more appropriate than what you can say in class so uh, even <clears throat> your time and your place and manner can be regulated so That's well and, and this is kind of the main point so what does this leave us with uh, in terms of Facebook and Twitter uh, and of course Instagram which is a subsidiary of, of Facebook uh, what does this leave us with when they're banning certain people <clears throat> well we live in a place where, uh, you know, businesses, people don't like to regulate businesses. We like to have businesses to be able to do uh, as they wish. Uh, you know, businesses uh, and corporations now have certain rights in a way uh, with regard to speech. And so, you know, Facebook and the world we live in, they get to choose, legally speaking, um, how they want to operate their business. When we click on terms and agreement, we choose to abide by you know their terms and their agreement mm-hmm. and the platform we chose so that leaves us uh you know in a in a 
devastating place and and i'm not sure if that's a good thing i mean perhaps it is a good thing that it's like that but but perhaps it's a bad thing maybe we should um be able to regulate them uh and and not and restrict them from banning people in in such a way um but that's a a debate to to be had yes i think i think the problem that i see and i teach about censorship sometimes um in my subject i teach a lot of english literature composition Um, is how do you define those parameters? You know, social media may be a private business, but let's face it, that's how people get their news now. You know, that's, that is, they are controlling a lot of the information. Well, Twitter, Instagram, I guess it depends on your generation. Um, So how do you define the parameters? Looking closer at this article, I think there is some things they're banning that has to do with anti-Semitism. And on the surface, that's absolutely, you don't want any kind of hate speech, any kind of uh, threatening words to any people group out there, especially, you know, uh, religious freedom and everything else. But they also, I, I read another article where they were banning some right-wing activists. Yeah, Alex um, Jones is mentioned in the title okay, there. Okay, so I'm not yeah, that up to date. But, but so who, where's those parameters, and is it... Is it for the people or to control the people? To me, go ahead, Danny. Oh, no, I know. You go ahead. Um, in the example with Alex Jones, um, the people in uh, support of him being banned would say that, he, you know, the old adage, your right to swing your fist ends when it connects with the other person's nose. Right. And, I, and I know you've heard that, Danny, and that's probably a, not, it wouldn't be reached the level of legal precedent, but it's certainly the lens at which rights are looked through a lot of times. And what they would say about Alex Jones is that he's been very, very hurtful and uh, defamatory and uh, slanderous towards a lot of the families of the Sandy Hook school shooting, um, which he's basically deemed to be a conspiracy and, and said that this was a, um, a lot of these families were fake and these kids were like made up. And like, so it, it gets pretty wild. Now, I will say if you watch a certain documentary and see a certain amount of facts, you start to question some of maybe the way it was covered by the media. I'm not advocating for it against it, but what I mean is, is I think the idea that we question the, the, the popular narrative is not necessarily a bad thing, but in the case of Alex Jones, his speech has been deemed to be so far over that it is connecting with the nose of those people, those victims in the Sandy Hook case and, and situations like that. And that's why um, I think that's kind of where they try and delineate, right, Danny, where the, the rights, how they, how they fall. Right. I mean, I, I think uh, they, they, they mentioned in the article about how there were instances of them inciting violence. And now just a little bit uh, about it. And it's, it, and it's not just uh, Jones and right wing uh, folks, but, but Farrakhan, who's uh, head of nation of, of Islam yes. is on the list too. Mm-hmm. So, so it's a variety of individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but with regard to Jones, I know I was reading another article uh, with regards to a lawsuit regarding him, and apparently there's been a lot of emails sent in to the, uh, the organization they ha- have that he, uh, I think, is the head of, or at least the host of, is InfoWars, mm-hmm. in which there's a lot of people with mental health issues sending in things of, of you know, violence, and I mean, right, there's been people right. with hit lists of, of people in the media and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that gives some context to why they're doing it, but 
I'll say uh, another thing to keep in mind, I guess, is these social media corporations are international businesses. I mean, they work on uh, platforms throughout different nations, right. and they have, uh, you know, free, uh, a different, less free speech rights than we do, and so they're having to conform to their regulations as well. So then, that, you know, you're dealing with something interesting, or you want to have a different site for, uh, you know, each different country and their different regulations they have, or yeah, try to have something uh, uniform. It's really a little bit of a mess for them. Uh, but this is kind of the growing pains I think we have to go through. Uh, bringing all this back to the church, which is really where this article stood out to me and, and why I reached out to you because I thought your perspective was going to be so helpful with it, and it has been. Um, I, I think I think just reading the Bible, um, certainly what happened to Jesus and the way the, the story ends, so to speak, I think that um, most logical people reading the Bible would come to the conclusion that we're going to see days in the future at some point where we will face persecution. Um, And persecution comes in many forms, and one of those forms could be the attempted silence of our witness. Um, And so I think looking at it from the church perspective, the thing that, that I'm concerned about the most, and I know everything that you've said before and it all holds true, but... um, that is where this article comes back home and where we need to, to look at it through that lens uh, before we wrap it up is the lens of the church and how this affects um, what speech we have been tasked to give and say and do by Jesus, uh, you know, the Great Commission. Uh, many people, probably Louis Farrakhan included, would say that, uh, well, maybe not because his speech is uh, very hateful, but he would possibly deem the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to be hate speech. Are, are we coming to that as a society? Is, that, is this a move in that direction? And what, what should Christian people think in light of this article about that? Uh, is that? Is that a concern that is on the horizon? Well, I guess it could be in certain ways. My broad concern, and, and I know y'all talked about this on previous podcasts, is is uh, really the 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 amount of rights that private corporations can have and and we we talk about these businesses that come into certain states and they lobby against uh, certain bills that that we see as as part of the christian church as as good moral legislation and so on you have businesses coming against that and so uh and 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 then in this case the businesses are, are doing certain certain things but they could uh, if they wanted to, it would be perfectly legal uh, for them to uh, censor me and to to say uh, to ban me for a certain religious speech. Um, so it possibly could. But here's the thing: I think businesses really work by the market. It's mm-hmm. by consumers. As long as uh, the, the consumers dollar. are mainly Christians <laughs> yeah. and, and that sort of thing, it'll be fine. But once they're Christian, is not a. I hate to say it, but <laughs> as long as I guess Christianity isn't a consumer base and, and something that they should be worried about, then you could be in that kind of situation. Yeah. Well, let's, let's don't forget that they've been trying to center this since oh, Jesus yeah. was crucified. Oh, yeah. It says before, while he was walking, he was, they tried to censor him. So that's nothing new. And I don't think it's going away. Um, and I think it goes back to what we were talking about. We've got to do what God put in front of us. You know, when, you know, no matter the cost. No, no matter the cost. But he's right. not going to necessarily call us to just 
to fight every battle when it comes to this issue. Sometimes the way we fight is just by doing and not necessarily by screaming on Facebook. Right. You know, sometimes that does more damage than good. Absolutely. And that's where it comes back to that discernment that we were just talking about. Absolutely. So, Danny, I'm going to just give a, a, a closing thought, and then I'm going to turn it over to you to give your closing thought, and then uh, we will get together again very soon because this has been awesome and very, very when informative. When you're done with finals. When you're done with finals. <laughs> um, my, my thought would be along the lines of Elisa, and that is um, I truly believe that um, God will present himself a perfect bride. Who is the bride? The bride is the church. God will present himself a perfect bride. And traditionally, when you look in the Bible and you look at the way God purifies his bride, it's many times through persecution. Um, Christians live largely unaware of the persecution that's happening all over the world, and it is growing, and the fans of persecution are, I mean, the flames of persecution are being fanned around the world. And I believe that uh, I think if if we make it long enough and Jesus tarries, that, that we will see some of that here in America. And as Christians, I think it's important for us to realize that. And like Elisa said, make our mind up before it gets here that this is the greatest story ever told. We overcome the enemy by uh, the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And my testimony is that Jesus pulled me out of the ditch and he can pull you out of the ditch and he can save you and he'll turn your life around and change your life. And um, I pray that that message would ever be upon my lips, no matter the cost. And that would be the charge that I would give the church, because I think we're approaching a time where the cost is going to be higher. But we have to, as a church, be willing to be purified, to be presented as a pure bride. And that would be my closing thoughts. So, Danny, close us out with your thoughts. I, I concur. I think uh, as long as we stay faithful, I think God will give us the tools to get through it, uh, no matter you know what the laws and, and what the future holds for us. Amen. Well, Danny, we love you, and we, we'll be praying for you with finals. And if we can, uh, I don't know, help you in any way, and let I us know, man. Can't. Give me a cheat sheet. I love you. all Love you too, love man. You. We'll talk to you soon. All right. All right bye. bye. All right. Well, that was an interesting conversation. Awesome conversation. So who's driving? Who's driving? And where are you driving to? Where, where are you driving to? Are you wearing your seatbelt? And what are you wearing? <laughs> what are you wearing? <laughs> Where are you being driven? Ask yourself that question. And it's okay if you don't know the answer. What's more important is that you're willing to be driven anywhere God wants to drive you. Amen. That's, that's what's really important. So this has been an awesome podcast. We thank you so much for joining us. And next week we will pick it right back up with Mark chapter 1 if you want to read ahead. Uh, and we just thank you for joining us and pray for us. And we will see you next week.